Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Keith had a great story yesterday at the feeding that he told me. Somebody had donated, one of his customers that uh, I guess he services their sprinklers every year, she heard him on the phone with Naeem. Is Naeem here? I don't know. Maybe Naeem could tell. All right. So they're both not here. So she, uh, they're playing hooky today. She, uh, she uh, heard them on the phone with each other, and they were talking about the feeding coming up this Saturday. So when he got off the phone, she said, hey, what's that all about? I just kind of wasn't really eavesdropping, but I heard you talking about uh, helping some people in your community. So he proceeded to tell her the story and she donated all the money for, I guess, bread and other things, a couple hundred dollars, right on the spot. Take it, boom, here you go. Pretty amazing story, right? I mean, it doesn't happen every, every month. So I thought that was pretty neat. Well, if you were here last week, Pastor Tom kind of started a series that he's really running at his church. Now, if you've been here for any length of time, we usually do the same stuff, same material. We run the same series. This is not one of those cases. Uh, I really feel led to kind of go in a different direction. That happens, right? So in a couple of weeks when he's back, he will preach the second part of what he started last week. I'm going in a totally different direction. And uh, I kind of tried. I, even tr- I really tried to stay in the, the rhythm of what he was doing. I just couldn't do it. So instead of forcing it, I felt like God was taking me in a, in a different direction. And I, I hope you're blessed by it this morning. It's a passage I preached some years ago. It's fun now when you've preached long enough. You're like, wow, I haven't preached this in a, in a long time. And how you see a text totally different. Uh, so let's just open with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you as I heard those words this morning that, that the music team sang, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do we really believe those words? Lord, your stories, as we read them in the Gospels, and we read about miracles, and we read about healings, and you touch people, Father, may we really see today, as we leave this place, those weren't just stories from the past, Lord, they were, in a sense, a microcosm for what you're doing today, here, in our midst. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, Before it, Lord, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please you. Father, I ask that you would impart a new, fresh wind in here of faith. Lord, we talk so much about character formation, and that's so important. But Father, may your spirit blow and start here, right now in our midst. May we contend for the supernatural. May you make us uncomfortable here. Father, may we believe Whatever the situations that we're up against, where it's, it seems humanly impossible, that we realize that's when you kick in. Are you done? And we say, yeah, I'm done. Lord, may your power be shown off. May you get all the glory. Move on us. We're not just here to play games. We're not just here to play church. I'm not just here to deliver yet another sermon. Father, I'm not here to make people feel good. Lord, I'm here this morning so that your power would be manifest among your people, that your people would believe that you indeed are a healer, that you indeed are still in the miracle-working business, that you still are the one that turned water into wine. You are the water walker. You are the grave robber. 
Lord, and Easter may have been two weeks ago, but we still believe and we still confess and we still celebrate that you came out of a tomb. Wake us up this morning. Wake us up from our slumber. Wake us up to the hour, Father. May it be. Amen. I feel unleashed this morning. I don't know. I I, I really do. All week hasn't been an easy week, but I feel his power. When we're weak, he's strong. So I hope you just get a little bit of that. I'm preaching to myself. You always preach to yourself, but especially this kind. I'm preaching to myself big time here today. All right? So, so understand that. Let me preface the message by saying that. I want to start with a, with a question, a weird question for you. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them, what was the greatest experience you've ever had in a crowd? Now, I'm talking about, is there an event that stands out in your mind where you were in a crowd? It was euphoric. Something had happened. You were at a concert. You were at a game. So go ahead. I'll give you a couple of seconds. See if you can remember. Tell the person next to you, what was that event? Okay, you look like you're having, some of you are like, you just keep, I see your hands moving around, you're like having fun telling all the details here, right? Well, interesting, we've all logged time in crowds, have we not? We've all had experiences, you've been in a crowd somewhere, and I was thinking, I was just writing out some of the different emotions that you even have in crowds, different experiences, wherever you are, and some of you, I imagine it was probably like a sporting event or a concert, right? I said it, but that's probably what you chose. Maybe there were 50, 100,000 people at an event, and you felt like the stadium was maybe, or the place was just going to collapse, or the roof was going to come off. I'll never forget when I was young, uh, 1986, right? Game six of the, the World Series. I mean, the, pl- you, the place, it was unbelievable when the Mets had that incredible turnaround. There's two outs, right? Bottom of the ninth, you think they're going to lose, and the Red Sox are going to win the World Series. And we're listening to it from the car. Right? I've said this story before, but I'm like, how could I not say that story again? We left game six of the World Series. Yeah, we left probably one of the greatest games ever played, Pastor Joe. Right? We left. Uh, so there's excitement, at, at, you know, sometimes in a crowd, right? And you feel it, it's palpable. I was thinking there's also, though, you can feel drained, you know, the emotion of being, being drained. You, if you go to Disney World, right? No, some of you should be laughing, like, yeah, I remember being on lines forever. Or you sit there and you're exhausted and your kids just want to keep going. I remember a couple of years ago, Jameson's kind of young, we're on the line, and what's the, the line that parents always say, Right? You better, you better listen to me. You better understand what's going on here because I've spent so much money to take you here, right? Right? You've talked about all that kind of stuff. So yeah, a place like that, you can get absolutely drained. How about being the fr- in, a, in a traffic jam? You can get frustrated, can't you? The other day, Friday, I'm heading out east. I'm going to pick up Jameson at tennis, and Sunrise Highway is closed down. I'm with people on the highway. Everybody's kind of talking to each other. 
And I'm like, I might as well make the best of it, right? Just sitting there where everyone's kind of chatting. It's not fun, but you know what I'm talking about, being in a crowd. There are different emotions that we can feel. Can I take us into a crowd this morning? Can I take you into a crowd? Are you ready to come with me into a crowd? My favorite sermons are when I tell stories, when I pick stories out of the Bible. Those are my favorite. Hey, listen, I like doing series like Galatians, fun, Philippians, what have you. But I, listen, my, my joy is to pick stories out of the Bible and try to make them come alive. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark 5. And I, we're going to start in verse 21. I am going to take you into a crowd this morning. It's a famous story, but I want you to pretend as if you never heard the story. Are you with me? Can you do that? Can you try? All right. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side. Now, you got to understand this. If you read the Gospels, it feels like Jesus is going across the Sea of Galilee like all the time, like a thousand trips. He's on one side. He's going to the other side. Oh, no, he's going back again. He's going to the other side. So that's what's going on here. A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse." When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came down and fell before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Did you know there are 34 distinct miracles in the Gospels? 34 of them. And I said to you before, I want to talk about miracles for a little while. We don't really talk a lot about miracles in this, in this place. I don't feel like I do enough. So again, this is a type of sermon that we're looking to stretch our faith. And I was reading an article this past week. Did you know there are trillions of chemical reactions that are happening in your body? Every single hour, every minute, every second of every single day. You're breathing in oxygen as we speak. I hope you are, right? You are fighting antigens. You are manufacturing hormones. You are managing equilibrium. You are purifying toxins. You are digesting food, and you are circulating blood. Did you know the average person, your your heart will beat 100,000 times per day. Six quarts of blood are going to flow through veins, arteries, and capillaries. If you were to put all of them in your body, end to end, it would be 60,000 miles. What? How about your human genome sequence? 
All right? Did you know science, they're, they're finding out so much more about the, this human genome project and the sequence. Megan had told me, a doctor said recently, that we're about 85% there. We're almost, you're not all the way there, but we're getting close, okay? So how about that? Think about that. If your specific, your unique human genome sequence, right, was a book, you know how many words it would be? It would be three billion words. What? Three billion words. Now, Let's, let's try to put this in perspective. The King James Version of the Bible has just over 737,000 words. You know how many of those it would be? Right? Follow this. It would be almost 4,000 KJVs. You, your human genome sequence. If you were an audio book, right? Let's just, if you were an audio book and you were told at one double helix per second, right? You know what? I know. You should laugh at that, all right? One double helix per second. It would take almost a century just to talk about you, how unique you are. When people say, I, have, I don't believe in miracles, you have never not experienced a miracle. When you look in the mirror, you are seeing a miracle. This should tell you Psalm 139 when the psalmist says, right? What does the psalmist say? You were woven in your, your mother's womb like God knew you before you were in the womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. It makes sense that, of course, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Things don't just happen by accident. Things don't just happen happenstance. No, there are no such thing as coincidences. There is a God who is on the throne. There is a God that has orchestrated history. There is a God that numbered the hairs on your head. There is a God that knows you and loves you. Do you believe that? And it's important for us to see that today. I love Albert Einstein. This is what he said. He said, there are two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is to live as though everything is a miracle. Come on. We need to have eyes to really see miracles, things that are happening all around us all the time. Stretch our faith. That's what we're looking for. Let's stretch our faith this morning. Oliver Wendell Holmes, a Supreme Court justice from the 20th century, look what he said. He said, man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never returns to its original dimensions. Never returns. Never goes back. What do you think from two weeks ago? What happened with Lazarus when he came forth from the tomb and Jesus called him out? Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the tomb. I have to imagine, first of all, that he visited that tomb and put flowers there once in a while. After the fact. As a testimony. Look what God did in my life. Do you think his mind and anybody else that was around there, you think their minds were stretched? They absolutely were stretched. Because Jesus had done something new. They had seen his healing power. Now they were witnessing resurrection power. Oh, Jesus has not lost any of his power. And listen, I said to you, every single miracle is indeed a microcosm of what Jesus wants to do here and now. Not what he just he did all thousands of years ago. And we look at the stories in scripture, what he wants to do in your life. Again, do you really believe that? So let's get into the story. Are you ready to really dive into this text? Can we look at this guy, Jairus, first of all? I would say first, he, the text says he is one of the synagogue leaders. He is somebody that gets a lot of face time. 
right? The Hebrew Herald, this guy is somebody that is constantly going to be on the cover of every newspaper there. He's somebody that everybody's going to know. He's a man of affluence and he's a man of influence, right? Now, when it says he's a leader in the synagogue, you have to understand what that means. By being a leader in the synagogue, it means he was a layperson. It possibly means he's a Pharisee or he works for the Pharisees. What? Yes. So, you have somebody who's the leader of the synagogue who is setting up worship there, setting up the building, setting up services, getting everything prepared. He's somebody that actually comes to Jesus. If you don't know anything about the Bible, please understand that the Pharisees hated Jesus. And I bring this up because in Mark chapter 3, if you take notes, you go back and look this week because he performs a miracle. Jesus performs a miracle on the Sabbath. He heals somebody on the Sabbath, and right after it, the text says, the Herodians right, and the Pharisees were looking to kill him. They want to snuff him out right after that. Do you think this guy Jairus made disparaging comments about Jesus? Absolutely had to have. But here he is in this story. He is absolutely desperate. And here are the disciples. Come on, you got to let your feet get a little dirty as you're at, we're now in first century Palestine on the cobblestone road and the hot sun is beating down on us. Imagine the disciples when they're there and I can picture them, right? And they're excited because they're like, yeah, Jesus is going to show up and you're all going to see, right? He's going to perform another miracle and we're part of this. We're part of the inner circle here and the sirens are going, woo, woo. The EMS truck is ready to go to Jairus's house and they're right there and they are stoked out of their minds, Right? And how about this guy, how about this guy Jairus? What are his emotions? Can you think of, about the emotional state of this father right here? How many of you have seen the movie John Q, an older movie? John Q? All right, about five of you, okay. John Q, if you don't know, is a movie about Denzel Washington plays a father, his, his kid... Uh, his kid needs like a heart transplant and insurance won't cover it. It's a, it's a really gripping movie. It's well done. And he does whatever he has to do, give you a Reader's Digest, to make sure that his kid's going to get that heart transplant. And I'm thinking about this guy, Jairus, in the story. Doesn't a parent, like, you'll do anything for your kids. Meg and I were talking about this during, you'll do anything for your kids. And here he is, there's a glimmer of hope. And I have to imagine he went to doctors because the, the, the text says she's gravely ill. She's at the point of death. And I have to imagine Jesus is not his first resort. It's his last resort. Somebody that he hoped or thought, I'm never going to have to go to this Jesus character and get something. But his worst nightmare has now come true. And he has heard the words over and over again from doctor after doctor. Sorry, there's nothing else we can do. We did everything that we possibly can do. Sorry, we can't help you. And here he is stuck in a very arduous predicament. And he's desperate, but he'll do anything for his ailing daughter. And I thought of myself two weeks ago, we had to, my youngest had to get a, a procedure done, had to get an MRI. And we were in the hospital, and this is what, wasn't one of my better moments, I would say, in life. Uh, the baby couldn't eat from like 4.30 to like 11 o'clock. So there we are in the hospital, and you know, we're, we're told, can't have anything to eat, all right, all right. The time comes, gets the procedure, everything's good. After the procedure, we're in the recovery room, and then the nurses are there with us, and Megan looks at me and says, he's hungry, he's starving, he needs a bottle. 
Now, the baby is very particular. He wants warm milk, right? I want, I want the bottle to be very warm, right? He's not saying that to us, but he's telling us when he refuses and pushes it away, right? So the temperature has to be absolutely perfect. Now, here I am, father, in the recovery room, right? Do anything. My kid hasn't eaten any food since 4.30 in the morning. So I look at one of the nurses because Megan kind of looks at me. It gives me the look like, you, dad, need to step up and do something, Right? So I look at one of the nurses and I'm like, can I, at first, this is in the beginning, can I get some uh, warm water? I need some warm water for my son hasn't had anything to eat. So right, okay, okay, yeah, all right, in a minute, in a minute, all right, in a minute, really? Okay, okay, kid hasn't had anything to eat since 4.30, so like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Then she sees me, I'm pacing now, I'm like pacing back and forth, because my kid hasn't had a bottle yet, and I'm pacing, what's wrong with these people? I'm in a recovery room, you would think they understand, this kid's one years old, when is somebody going to sell? And then I, then I lost it. Then, I, then the Patron in me, right, I get that from, my, that's my mom's side, the Patron in me rises up, and I said, hey, lady, if I don't get some warm water, see that room right there, I'm going to break in, and I said, I'm talking, I'm going to break in the room, and I'm going to go to the microwave, and I'm going to go heat up water. She's like, I, I know, I know, I, I don't understand either, you should be able to get some water. I'm like, I need warm water right now. Some guy passes by, and he says, I'll get it for you in a minute. No, no, I already waited five minutes, so I'm like, oh, I got to wait longer, right? Guy comes back out, I'm like, do you have the water? Hello, buddy, water comes out like this big jug, and I'm like, listen, I just need to go, why can't I go in that room and warm up my kid's water? And the guy's like, oh my gosh. Find out later on, he's like the head of the whole unit. Great job, James, really good, right? Well, again, wasn't one of my better moments, but it's amazing what you'll do for your kids. Now, if you don't know, I'm a teacher too, I'm a high school teacher. And I thought I, I thought I really like understood kids and you're caring and compassionate. You really want to help them. I didn't really understand kids until I had my own kids. And I even saw my mom. Re- I didn't tell her this. So it's the first time you're hearing this. I saw my mom recently, and she was with the baby. And I saw how much she loved the baby. And I said in my mind, I said, she loves me the same way that she loves that baby? You grandparents know what I'm talking about. You can't understand the love of a parent for their child until you have your own kids. This is a man in the story that, is, that has tears, that is full of emotion. He's full of anguish. He's full of pain. He is desperate. He is clogged. He'll do anything to see his child healed. Now do you understand the story? That's who Jairus is. And then what does Jesus say? Jesus stops in the middle of the parade, right? Everybody's heading over to Jairus' house. And suddenly, Jesus stops because he says, somebody touched me. The text says he felt power come out from him. That word dunamis is where we get our word, the word power, dynamite. You have to see this. The writer is trying to tell us in the original Greek, dynamite went out from Jesus, There is such power in the name of Jesus. There was such power in that man when he walked because he indeed was God incarnate. And he's walking and he is full of dynamite. And he stops because somebody has touched him. The text says somebody has touched him. But what do the disciples say? What do they say? Really? You're being thronged. People are throwing themselves at your feet. They're clawing at you. They're trying to kiss you. They're trying to touch you. And you want to know who touched you? Jesus, just look around. Human bumper cars. Everyone's all over the place. 
Come on, you have to see that because that's, that's what this is. They, they don't understand. They are shocked that Jesus is saying this. But he understands. And you know what this really is? Can I be honest with you? This is an indictment to his entourage. Look, 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 look follow me. This is an indictment to them. Do you know you can come to church? We can come to church. We can sing songs. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can listen to sermons. We can go to hill houses. We can go to Bible studies. And we still cannot, sometimes, we we don't touch him. You can be all around him within his proximity and still not touch him. The disciples are all around him and he's looking at them going, no, somebody touched me. The people that are with them, oh, they're concerned about who's going to be on the right, who's going to be on the left, who's the greatest. And he's like, really? Really? Somebody actually touched me with real faith. What a message for the disciples, but what a message for us. Just because we go through the motions, just because, again, that we come to church and do all the dutiful things, doesn't mean that we're actually really touching him. You can admire him. You can be inspired by him. Can we talk about the woman with the issue of blood now? Can I give you some details about her life? Jesus stops and has a conversation with this woman. You see that in the text? Has a conversation. This is not just like turns around, power goes out from, hey, daughter, be well, great. This is a conversation. If you remember, Jairus is the one that has his attention, right? Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus is the guy that is high up on the socioeconomic ladder. This woman with the issue of blood is on the bottom. She's poor. She has spent all her money. And here Jesus is, and he's stopping for the woman that has the issue of blood. Really, Jesus? And what would you do if you were Jairus here in this situation? I would be all over Jesus. Hey, that's great, lady. Um, do you remember you said you were coming to my house first, right? Lady, can you get out of here, right? Remember me? I'm the one with a sick daughter, right? There is a difference between having an acute condition and having a chronic condition. A chronic condition like this woman has, she's had an issue of blood for 12 years. Is she going to die right now? We don't know, but probably not. The little girl is stuck in an acute condition. She is going to die if she doesn't get help right away. And Jesus makes him wait. This is malpractice. Who's going to get Salino and Barnes on the phone? Right? This is malpractice. Come on, Jesus, don't you see what we see? She can wait 30 minutes. You want to come back and hang out with this heathen, this marginalized woman that shouldn't even be here? You can do so, but I need you right now. Jesus loved Jairus and his daughter enough to be late. You see that in the text? He's like, listen, you have an idea You're trying to push my agenda. You are trying to tell me what I'm supposed to do when I'm supposed to do it. Can anybody relate to that? How many times have you felt like, God, where are you in this situation? How many times have you felt like God has his back to you, that things don't make any sense? Jesus will not be hurried. Jesus is saying, listen, you've seen my healing power. Now it's time to see my resurrection power. He's saying, there are some things that you don't understand. Your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Stop trying to put me in a box. I know what I'm going to do in this situation. But come on, delay. Jesus, please. No, we don't see it that way. And Jesus is also saying there is a huge difference between the journey and the destination, right? 
Jesus is saying, I'm taking you on a journey. I'm taking you along a journey, a progression here. We just say, I want to get to the destination. Just get me to the house. I want to see this healing take place. And Jesus says, no, 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 you have to understand there are certain things that you're going to have to go through. There is going to be a delay. There may be delays in your life. You're going to have to wait. Anybody enjoy waiting? You love waiting for things. Anybody, you enjoy that? You love waiting? Not one hand is up in this congregation, which is what I expected. Dallas Willard says this about delays, about waiting. What we are waiting for is not as important as what happens to us while we are waiting. That's a sermon all in itself. I can sit down right now if I wanted to. It's not what you're waiting for. It's who you are becoming while you're waiting. Huge. Jesus here is saying, listen, I'm delaying so I can show you something else and build your faith, Jairus. Disciples, throngs, multitudes of people that are standing right there. I am trying to show you something. And you have to see the juxtaposition with the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus again, right? He's at the top. She's at the bottom. She's poor. He's rich. These are people that would never, ever spend time together. They would never be together. And I love, too, they fail to see that she's even there. They're so focused on the fact of getting a solution to the problem that they don't even see that there's a woman over here that's on the ground that is trying to get to Jesus. They don't even see it. They're so distracted. You know what psychologists call it? They call it inattentional blindness. Inattentional blindness. How many of you, I'm not showing it to you today, but you can look it up on YouTube if you like. How many of you have seen the invisible gorilla? You ever see this? I use it in my sociology kids. All right, some of you are like, see, you're nodding your heads. If you don't know, they, take a, they have a group of kids in this video, and they have a basketball, and they're passing it around in a circle, and they're throwing the basketball around, and they ask you, how many passes do the kids make with the basketball, right? This is easy. All right, one, two, three, four, and unbeknownst, like, it, well, I should, well, I'm going to ruin it for you, but whatever. Do it as somebody else. In the middle of it, a, a woman dressed in a gorilla costume, like, walks out, pounds her chest, and walks, walks through just keeps going. Do you know how many people don't even see the gorilla? Because they are so distracted by something else that's going on. Jesus is saying, this is the same thing that's happening here. You are so focused on the guy that has money, the leader of the synagogue, that you fail to see this impoverished, destitute woman who has spent everything, her life savings, trying to get well. And we live in a misogynistic age in the first century where women weren't really valued. That's what's happening here in the text. You know, I think too, in in writing notes about this, I think sometimes we can get so concerned with the problem, right? Can't we? We get so concerned with what the problem is that we almost get identified by this. Did you notice in the text that the woman doesn't have a name? That's not an accident that she doesn't have a name. Her whole identity, I guarantee you for these 12 years is, oh, there's the woman with the issue of blood. There she is over there. That's who she is. And I think the danger for us is sometimes we can be so focused on our problems that we don't focus on the promise. What has he promised us in his word? Focus on the promises. Don't glorify the problems. There is one that is bigger than the problem. There is one that can turn your problem upside down, inside out, throw it away, and do whatever he needs to do. Do we believe that?
every single part of her life was affected. I want you to see this too with the woman. Do you know in the first century that a woman, this woman that has an issue of blood, she has a menstrual issue. She, if she's married, she's not allowed to touch her spouse. The spouse would have to leave. This is a dead woman walking. If she had kids, we don't know if she had kids. Maybe she had kids before this ever happened. Guess what? She would not have been allowed to touch them. No bedtime lullabies, no kisses before bed, none of that. Socially, she would have to yell, unclean, unclean, anytime she went near people. Do you know what would happen if she touched somebody on accident? They were then indeed unclean for 24 hours. This is a woman that is not, nobody has said anything to her in 12 years, a kind comment. Nobody has looked her way. Everybody has said, you are some, get over there. You're, 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 uh, you're, you have that disease. We don't want any part of you. That's who this woman is. Did you know this was wild? Looking at the, uh, the Talmud, which is the, the central text in rabbinic Judaism, there are at least 11 cures for the condition that this woman had. Do you want to hear some of them? This is wild. Do you want to hear how primitive healthcare was in the first century? You think healthcare is, if you think healthcare is bad today, all right, let's look back to the first century. One remedy was going to the doctor. Yeah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some wine, right, put it in a goblet. Then I want you to pulverize rubber. Go get a tire, pulverize the rubber, grind it up, take the powder, put it in the drink, and drink that. That's going to make you well. Oh, okay. Let me go to the next doctor. That didn't work. Oh, I want you to take a kernel of barley corn, and I want you, it has to be, oh, by the way, in the dung, you have to find it in the dung of a white donkey. I want you to take that, and I want you to carry it around. Oh, that didn't work either. How about this one? Okay. Oh, then I I want you, this doctor says, I want you to take the uh, dust from an ostrich egg, and you have to carry it around in the wintertime in a linen bag. In the summer, I want you to carry it around in a cotton bag. This is, this, this is real history. This is the stuff this lady was told to do. You don't see it in the text, but I'm telling you, this is what is going on. This lady will do anything, absurd things. New York Times had a study recently. Well, they, they polled people, and they said, if you had an incurable disease, like what would you do? What would you do? 52% of the people were like this woman. 52% of the people that were polled said they would, they would go through their life savings. They would do anything they had to do to find a cure. Oh, this woman's not alone. Not alone. And you know what? Sometimes faith kicks in when we have no options. Faith kicks in when we have absolutely no options. And how can you not love this woman? You know what you need to see in the text too? Look at this woman's aggressive demeanor. We always talk about Navy SEALs in the Lecce home. This lady is a Navy SEAL. She has the makeup to be a Navy SEAL. Jesus is walking away. You may not know this, but go look at Jesus' miracles in the Bible Many times he goes up to people and he's talking to them and he looks them in the face. Here is Jesus walking away and the woman is coming after him. She is persistent. She is clawing through the crowd. Nothing will stop this woman from getting what she wants and that is touching Jesus. How about you? What is stopping you from getting to Jesus? What are you allowing to get in your way to get to Jesus? Because let me tell you, this, this woman did something radical. If anybody recognized her, do you realize the risk she took? How radical this would have been to go in and say, I'm going to go touch the teacher, the rabbi. She's unclean. She's not supposed to be there. In a male-dominated culture, boom, one strike against you. She has this disease, another strike against you, sociologically, religiously. There's nothing going for this woman. She is not supposed to be here. 
And then I love this. Look what it says in 528. I love this. Oops, 528. But she heard about Jesus. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. You know what this means in the literal Greek? She's saying this over and over and over again. She's saying to herself, if I only can touch the hem of his garment, if only I can touch his clothes, I'll be made well. She's repeating it over and over. She's saying, nothing's going to stop me. If only I can touch him. If only I can get to him. If only I can get to him. If only I can touch the hem of his garment. How do you not love this woman? How do you not love the faith that we see in this woman? And how about the best part of it? She doesn't even touch him. And I bet for many of you, like, what? Go look in the text. She never touches his body. Are you kidding me? That's how much power Jesus has. She touches the hem of his garment. Now, usually you would think if you want to touch the object, you want to get healed, you want to touch that object. She doesn't even touch the object. She's touching the hem of his garment, something that is attached to him. What is going on? If you were sleeping through the sermon, here's the best part for you. If you hung in there, this is the best part for you. Ready? Here's what I want you to see. If you don't think this is amazing, I, I, you, this isn't the church for you because it's amazing, right? The history behind this. What I want you to see there in this picture, and I, I've showed you this before in the past. My sermon was totally different, but I thought I would bring it out again. This is what is called a tallit. This is a, this is a prayer shawl, right? Right here. No, I don't sit at home and use this thing all the time. There's even a proper way to put it on, and I'm not going to do all that for you. But suffice it to say, men in the first century, they wore, Jesus' talit would have been much longer, like you see there. That would have been near the ground. You see the woman, and she's reaching up. All of the talits would have had what are known as tassels on the end, right? You see these tassels? And the blue, I mean, in the first century, it would have been very expensive. You were lucky to have one tassel on, uh, on the talit that actually had this blue dye. Now, this is huge, okay, in, in the Hebrew world. You have to understand this. Now, I have, to, I have to give you a lot. Hebrew is a very poor language. What do I mean by poor, James? It's bad? No, 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 it's not bad. There are roughly 80,000 words, right, in Hebrew. Only 80,000. So, one word could have many different meanings. You following me? Now, in the English language, we have about 650,000 words. A much richer language. So, here... In this, what do these stand for? First of all, I should tell you this too. These tassels on the end were a reminder, like a tactile reminder of the 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's what they were, right? These are Old Testament laws from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. These are all the commandments that we're supposed to be reminded of. You following me? You with me? All right, you have to stay with me. Okay, now, this tassel... The end, of the, the end of the talit would be called the kanaf. This is the corner of the, uh, of the talit would be called the kanaf. Now, kanaf also has another meaning. Remember, I told you Hebrew is a very poor language. Words mean a lot of different things. Kanaf, the corner of the talit, also means wings. Okay, you follow me? Also means wings. So, you have the tassel on the end, and then you have this piece the kanaf. It also means wings. Now, I have to take you, look, let's go, let's travel here. I want to take you to the uh, Italian prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi. Now, look what he says in 4 verse 2, right? But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. 
the son of righteousness is talking about the coming Messiah. The coming Messiah. What? I just told you before, kanaf in Hebrew, what does it mean? You tell me. Come on, class. All right, so kanaf means the corner or it means wings. So why did Jesus stop on that day 2,000 years ago? I'll tell you, because there was a woman that was in the crowd and she believed the word of God and she said, if only I can touch that tassel, if only I can touch the kanaf, if only I can get there, I will be made well because when the Messiah comes, he will come with healing in his wings. Wow! You're not awake today. Some of you are sleepwalking. You're sleepwalking. I'm serious. Are you kidding me? That's, the re- that's not for me. That's the response you get for that? Really? Wow. That's all I can say. Come on. That's a promise for us. The Messiah still has healing in his wings. We are under the shadow of the Almighty. We are under the shadow of His wings. There is still healing here, now, at this table as we come here. This woman believed. Are you kidding me? Everybody is around touching. If only I can get to the kanaf, if only I can get to that tassel, I will be made well. What is stopping us? What is stopping us today from believing His promises for our lives? And then look, where's my clicker? All right, look at this. I love this too. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It's the only time he uses the word daughter. The only time Jesus uses the word daughter here. You know what this means? This is a way, in Greek, it's a way of Jesus saying, you are part of my family. I just told you she's a dead woman walking. When was the last time, music team, start to come up. When was the last time do you think a woman like this ever heard anybody call her daughter, ever said anything kind to her? When do you think the last time was? And I'll tell you, it was probably more than 12 years ago. The rabbi cares and he sees. Reminds me of a story from the great Russian writer Leo Tolstoy who was walking through the streets and he comes across a beggar and he sees the beggar and the the man wants money and and Tolstoy stops and he puts his hand in his pocket to give him some money and he realizes, I don't have any money on me. And he looks at the beggar and he says, I'm sorry, my brother, I don't have any money on me. And the man kind of looks at him and he says, don't apologize. I can't believe, you have given me more than I could have asked. You called me brother. You called me brother. It's the same thing in this story. Nobody has called this woman daughter. You can play on the keyboard, please. And then in closing, I I was so struck by this. Now, this this is legend. I believe this with all my heart because when I read the Bible, this would make sense to me. And I'll put the picture up for you. Our Catholic brethren believe woman that had the issue of blood is none other than Victoria, the woman that followed Jesus up to Golgotha, the woman that follows him up to the cross. I believe that because that's what God, that would make sense to me. We don't know 100%, so don't leave here and say, that's not, listen, I think it's true. You think what you want. What did this woman do? In Jesus' greatest hour, 
she wipes the sweat and blood from his face. What did Jesus do for her in her greatest hour? He healed her of her disease. That's my Jesus. And that's this woman, somebody that is in the Hall of Fame. I don't care if she's in Hebrews 11 or not. She's in the Hall of Fame. She had incredible faith because she believed. Nothing is impossible with God. Oh, Lord, I ask, Father, for a people, Lord, right now that may not believe that all things are possible. Lord, show us. Do a work in our hearts. Spirit of the living God, invade this place with your power and your presence. Jehovah Rapha. That's who we call on right now. We call on you, healer healer because that's who you are lord you have healed finances you have healed marriages you have healed bodies lord you're still in the healing business today what do our people need healing for father i ask that you would move in our midst even right now as we take the table why are we acting as if you can't heal situations right now lord your tempest text says immediately power went out immediately this woman was healed it wasn't 10 minutes it wasn't two hours it wasn't 10 months Right then and there. Lord, you still have power. You still have wonder working power. Say it's true. Say it's, it's real. This table is real. This is not just some ritual that we go through. There is power here in the elements. Jesus has power for whatever your situation is. podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.